Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from Everag Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Erica Medke. We're excited to have you along today. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. So first things first, let's timestamp today's episode. It is Wednesday, June 28th, around 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. As a quick rundown of our dairy and grain markets, CME spot block cheddar, 133, down about 7 cents from last week. Barrels, 138, down 13 cents. Way, we hit the all-time low today at just over 24 cents, down nearly 3 cents week to week. Butter, 244, we are 9 cents from last week. And non-fat dry milk rounds out the complex just under 112, down 3 cents. Grains today, definitely seeing the impact of some rainfall. Nearby corn for July at 594 per bushel, down 29 cents today. July soybeans at 14.44, down 51 cents. And finally, soybean meal just under $400, down 8 cents per ton. So today we are lucky to have another all-star cast from the Everag team. We've got John Spainhauer, a longtime fixture on our commercial trading desk. The Jim Matthews, a studied observer of grain markets and advisor to growers. And Kathleen Wolfley, a veteran analyst who supports our dairy producers manage risk. Welcome, everybody. Thank you, Erica. Thanks, Erica. Thanks, Erica. So as is customary, we like to start with what's the buzz? What's going on in everybody's world? What are people talking about these days? John, why don't you start us off? What's going on in your world? Well, Erica, since uh, last week, we had the long-awaited government food purchase announcement come out. There were a lot of things included in that purchase outside of dairy. One of them, I believe, was beef chili, but included in there was quite a bit of dairy. It was pretty anticipated and a lot of uncertainty around what this solicitation was going to look like. I think we had an idea of what the volumes might look like, but it came down to what would the timeline be associated with this. If it was all going to come out on the front end here, that could have the potential to put quite a bit of upwards support into the spot market if everybody had to procure all this cheese at once. Or let's go further from there and say if it was stretched out, it would probably have a less of a, you know, immediate effect and the effect at all would probably be muted. So when we finally got this to come out, um, it was delayed a few days for any number of reasons. We're not sure. But when it finally came out, what we saw was that the delivery period was going to be October of 2023 through June of 2024. So that put us into a a nine-month delivery period for 48 million pounds. And when you look at it through just that perspective, you would say, okay, maybe that's not going to have an effect on the front end. And at no point in time should there be a, a pull in the spot market that would make prices spike. That being said, you could say, well, you know, we're, we're stretching it out and we're, we're, it's going to be over a nine month time period. And then what I think that in itself was a little bit disappointing to the marketplace. But going one step further from that is, I believe, the original uh, what people were looking for, close to 48 million pounds of cheese. And what was actually awarded was 38 million pounds of cheese. So a pretty substantial difference there. And in terms of why that happened, we're not really sure. But 
what we can say is that it was less than expected. And as far as the timeline goes, a very stretched out timeline. So bringing it back to the market, um, the market's reaction to that has been to kind of move lower and say, if there was any sort of support that was going to come out of this government award, I think it got eroded a little bit and futures were already under quite a bit of pressure. But now even the the back end of the futures market is starting to erode a, a big piece of that premium. And I think the release of this report has a lot to do with that. And so is that in particular on the, the cheese side of the back half of the board? Are we seeing the same erosion? Yes. You know, for a while, it was July to Deese holding a big premium. And then we started to erode July to Sepoff, while Octadice of 2023 was holding its premium. That is now under duress, if you will, and under pressure. And the Q1 is even now starting to come under pressure. So these big lofty premiums that have been out there starting to come off a little bit. And again, it's not all related to this. But one has to think that people were leaning on this for a little bit of support. And when it didn't you know, come to reality, those futures have been fading ever since. And if I could piggyback off of John's comments, I think that this is one of the things I've been thinking about as it relates to the buzz this week from a producer perspective. We've certainly seen that decline in the cheese futures spill over into class three, second half class three, especially. I mean, over the course of the last month, we've seen class three futures pricing in around a $3 premium in the October futures versus futures contract versus June. And that's given producers a pretty good look at some risk management opportunities into Q4. And by historical standards, that's pretty unusual to see a huge premium that short of a time period down the road. Today, as John noted, we are starting to see those futures slip as we go into the second half, particularly on the, the third quarter side of things. And now that's that's started to ease up into Q4 as well. So now as I just look at October versus June futures, where we were trading at around a $3 premium a couple of weeks ago, that's that's down to around a $2.50 or lower premium today. So definitely are starting to see some erosion in the class three futures market. Jim, what's the buzz in the grain world? Oh man, the buzz in the grain world has been the roller coaster ride of the corn and protein markets. Over the last two to three weeks, you have to take a step back and remember in the middle of May there, we were taking December corn futures down below five bucks. Everybody was piling onto that bear train. We were going to go to $4 futures. We got that crop in the ground so smoothly and efficiently. Things were looking golden there. And then suddenly right around mid-May, we were starting to approach Memorial Day and folks started realizing in the Midwest especially the I states here in the grain belt that we have not really had a whole lot of rain, if any. And then you kind of approach the middle of June and folks realize it's been like four weeks since we had any rain and things started to look a little bit ugly. And the Monday afternoon weekly crop conditions reports we get were showing some fairly atrocious crop ratings, especially for corn. And the weather market went ahead and took futures all the way up towards six. 30 on December corn. So quite the skyrocket up to those highs. We had not seen those highs in quite some time, really since uh, this past fall. So a lot of people were kind of shaken up a little bit, right? We're entering a little bit of a panic mode, you know, is $7 next, then eight. What if this thing reminds us of 2012? Fortunately, at least at the moment, 
We've had some rains over the Midwest, not nearly enough to truly recover uh, yield potential at this rate, but forecasts also are giving us opportunities over the next seven to 10 days. So just like that, within a week, we've taken this thing all the way back down to where we were just a couple weeks ago. So that's been the big buzz of the grain and feed markets is that weather market. Thanks for that, team. So let's move to the center of the plate. And what I would say that there's just a lot of uncertainty. As, as all of you have talked, you know, weather, obviously rolling the dice there, not knowing when the rains are going to come. Uh, dairy markets have their share of volatility. So I'm wondering, Kathleen, if you want to kick us off, how are people creating certainty in a very uncertain world? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Erica. And I'll kind of lean into one of the traditional quips of the of the risk management world in that discipline pays off. Discipline risk management in particular pays off. For producers that signed up for the USDA Dairy Margin Coverage Program, we should get the May payout information here later this week. And for producers that are covered up to the 950 margin level, those indemnities could come in in the $4.25 per hundredweight range. Like I said, we'll have firmer numbers here later this week, but that dairy margin coverage program is continuing to offer a lifeline for producers that have been disciplined about participating. At the same time, I think that you can say a similar story from the Dairy Revenue Protection Insurance Program, looking at some of the, the math around how much milk in the country is covered through that program. We saw more than 25% of U.S. milk covered for Q1, more than 20% of, of U.S. milk production covered in Q2 and Q3. So particularly for Q2, I think that DRP is potentially creating some support for dairy producers out there that have, again, been disciplined about utilizing the risk management tools that are available to them. John, on the commercial side of things, is there any certainty out there? What are folks doing? Well, I think everybody has long memories and remembers that how quickly the market can change, right? And we can be in a, in a low price environment or even a high price environment for quite a while, and then it changes. We have moved from a relatively high price environment and a lot of our dairy products down into a, a relatively low price environment. And I wouldn't say that in some cases it's been a, a gradual migration. And in some cases, it's, it's really come down quite quickly in, in, in the case of cheese. Uh, it really wasn't that long ago that the CME block market touched 210. I believe it was in late March, early April. And now here we are in a block market that you know made its way down into the low 130s. And I think we looked at it yesterday and said, if you exclude the pandemic event and, and the price effect that that had, that it, we had to go all the way back to 2016 to get to as low as we had been. And I think that just shows how quickly things can change. But I, I would say from an end user standpoint, people understand that typically when we're down here, we don't stay here for very long. And if these prices do stay here, we're going to affect milk production. Therefore, you do see quite a bit of end users hedging out there. Um, I think that's been part of that bid at higher and higher or at very uh, high levels relative to the spot market. So people are staying disciplined. But the other thing is that for the people that can, um, in many cases, the cash market, if they've got the ability to store it and do the cash and carry, there's quite a bit of opportunity there as well. It's been eroding, but if you look at the premium that the cheese futures have held to the 
cheese market or the OTC block and barrel products. There's There's been quite an opportunity to go out there and own the physical and sell financial and move down the road. Similar on the butter side of things, right, John? I mean, we look at cold storage numbers, 367 million pounds of butter. There should be some opportunities there as well on the physical side, right? Yeah, butter is one of those deals. I think we've all talked about it for almost the entire year here that a lot of end users have a very long and short memory and their short memory tells them we went to 320 last year and that was not fun for a lot of people. And I think the, the mantra of 2023 is I will pay 250, just don't make me pay 320. And within that, that manifests itself in a lot of ways. It either puts people willing to own the futures curve or some sort of financial around that area, or at the same point in time, they've been saying, hey, I'll, I'll asking their manufacturer, will you do a pre-build for me? Or I'll, I'll take my price today, just make sure I have that product for tomorrow. And that's really one of the things that's kept this spot market here at, at, at these current levels at the 240, right around 240. It's kept it here for such a long time. And we've traded in such a narrow band. And I think that really has come from the discipline on the buyer's part saying, I just need to make sure I have coverage. And that, that, that does not mean that there's no butter out there. I think our cold storage numbers show that we are building butter, but people aren't waiting for the lower prices to, to buy that butter. They're taking the, the what they consider to be a moderate price today. Hey, Jim, if I may, curious about the grain side of things, or at least the feed side of things. Obviously, I'm talking to producers a lot about protecting milk revenues, but what can producers do to create a little bit more certainty or at least wade through the uncertainty on the feed side? Yeah, certainty in uncertain times. That should be the Ever Ag slogan, uh -huh. or at least our goal. Yeah, it's a... It's, it's a difficult stretch this time of year. And I, I really like what John said about folks having uh, long memories in this marketplace versus short memories in the market. If you take, again, that bigger step back and look at the seasonal trend of December corn futures as you enter every summer, we often find ourselves one final hurrah in which those futures peak in mid to late June. Folks kind of want to see exactly how well we got that corn in the ground, how weather is going to look through some of those key developing stages as we enter pollination through the month of July. It, it, it does have a very significant impact on the way futures move. Again, we take that one year out of many now at this point. We look back to 2012, and I think that causes a lot of panic in people to wonder how high can corn go. And again, those longer memories allow you to take a step back and say, we don't need to chase this market necessarily. Uh, and we advised a lot of folks. And Kathleen, when you and I were in New York uh, together last week, we said those very words to a lot of gentlemen that we sat down with of just be very careful chasing a weather market. And also don't just casually step in to volatility. And that's exactly what we are seeing in the grain markets right now after a lull in what we've had really since the American harvest of last fall. Volatility has been fairly suppressed and it has picked back up very substantially in the last few weeks. So don't just casually step into an extremely volatile market, have intentions, set targets. And as you said, Kathleen, uh, really maintain that discipline in your risk management. So from the feed side of things, we want to make sure that we do protect your upside, give yourself a ceiling in terms of how high your protein and or grain pricings might be, utilize some strategies at the exchange while leaving some of that downside flexibility 
should we see a break like we've seen? And also just remember, just because we have broken this hard over the last week or so, it doesn't mean we're out of the woods. Conditions are going to remain poor here for corn. We also have a big report on Friday from the USDA. Uh, It's going to give us the confirmation of the planting projections report from the end of March and give us an idea of exactly how much of each crop was planted. So that'll be our final survey there. And then we will also have a June 1st stocks report in terms of how much corn is on or off farm here in the U.S. as of June 1st. So one could potentially argue that the planting report could confirm a bearish trend in the marketplace, but maybe that June 1st stocks number provides a bullish surprise potentially, seeing that most of the estimates for Friday's report are showing lower stock numbers on and off farm than we had a year ago this time in the US. So appreciate you asking that, Kathleen. Just make sure we maintain that discipline that you mentioned and protect yourself in volatile times. Really good advice, Jim. Is there anything else you're advising clients? At this time, that's kind of the that's kind of the big focus is that we we tend to break up actual trading hours this time of year because of the holidays that we've had. We have a three-day weekend At the end of May, we have a three-day weekend in the middle of June, and sometimes the 4th of July provides a three-day weekend. I could even argue that when it's in the middle of the week, it almost provides even more volatility because we wrap up this year, especially this June 30th USDA report, that's going to wrap up a week, it's going to wrap up a quarter, it's going to wrap up a month, it's going to wrap up the first half of the year. There's a lot going on heading into that report. Then you come back and trade just for one day on July 3rd before markets close again on the 4th. So again, there's just a lot of reason to not panic, not chase this thing. Be disciplined as we move into the summer. If you've got some targets, get them in. Exactly right, Erica. Exactly right. Because you never know what's going to happen on Monday. That's exactly right. Kathleen, how about you? How are you helping clients these days? Taking the Jim Matthews out on a farm tour? I would say that from a producer perspective, I continue to look at the fourth quarter as well as on into Q1 for potential protection from lower prices, looking especially at a product like DRP in order to lay in some floors, play some defense, and at least protect producers from even lower prices. And wrapping things up today, John, how are you helping clients? Well, from the commercial standpoint, I think it's important going back to the earlier part of the podcast here of staying disciplined. Things do change. There's no doubt that this low price environment is going to lead to less milk production somewhere down the line, which is likely going to lead to higher prices. Question becomes when? When does that happen? And when it does, it'll be quite violent. So there's a temptation to say, well, prices are down here. Uh, demand is off. Production's good. We're lower prices. We're not going to go anywhere. And I, and I think you do need to be protected. It's a guessing game a little bit to where, when that's going to happen. Q3 is probably off the table. Q4, though, falls squarely in line with some of our models internally that suggest that's about when we should start to see the effects. And so by 2024, we should. And and that's part of where the premium comes from already out there. But don't be afraid of of getting your hedge on, especially as prices are moving lower here. Um, And if you're going to come back into the 2023 because of the premiums, try to use as much optionality as possible so that you know, just in case prices do stay low, you're not hedged at uh, a high price that you can't take advantage of the lower prices. We've really leaned into discipline here on this podcast today, Erica. And if I may add yet another quip, hope is not a risk management strategy. 
Well, with that, let's wrap it up, team. Thanks so much for a great discussion, John, Kathleen, and Jim. Really appreciate you guys joining me today. Great contributions. And thank you, as always, to our media team, Paige, Mixing and Mastering. Thank you to the listeners for joining us today. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite app. A little plug, the Everag Insights, our portal is up and live. If you haven't signed up for a free trial, please do so. You'll get access to this, other content, and web exclusives. So if you like what you learned here today and want to learn more about how we help people manage risk, contact us at insights at ever.ag.